Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We are beginning a, a series over the next eight weeks that we're calling Flow. It's really, it's really getting you to understand how to move from, from living your life without the power of the Holy Spirit to living your life in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the heritage of every believer. And so what Lisa and I have done, we worked really hard this summer to develop a, a devotional book every uh, week. We do five days, beginning on Mondays. We kind of I summarize the sermon in a, a writing, uh, like an essay form. Then we do spiritual applications for the rest of the week. This, this has been such a labor for Lisa, Lisa and I of love. We started thinking about it early in the summer, and we have fought over this thing. We have had friction over this thing. I mean, we have, we have looked at it differently. I'd write, and she'd say, that's not what you're supposed to write. And I mean, all kinds of stuff. And what I have felt like is the Holy Spirit was honing us and, and training us and sharpening us to where uh, we could not bring this out until we had wrestled with it ourselves. And so it's not perfect, but it, it's one of those things that's pretty powerful if you'll just let it come in. And here's the thing. Think about if every one of us of this church is reading and studying and applying the same things at the same time. It will change the spiritual atmosphere of our entire area. God will move in such a powerful way. And I think this is a, a new season that he's asking us to enter into, and I'm inviting you to join with us. There's a suggested donation, but if that's a problem, we want this to be in your hand. So please, if you, if you can, take this today and begin reading and studying with us. Now, this is our first in the series, and here's, what, here's the simple truth. There's a lot of basic stuff today, but there's a simple truth and that is that having come to Christ, having come to faith in Christ, the Spirit of Christ is at work in your life to form you in such a way that He can fill you so that you will begin to flow. Okay, so every believer is being formed by the Spirit to be filled with the Spirit to flow in the Spirit. So what I want you to do is take your righteous finger, not the one you used in the parking lot. <laughs> the righteous finger. All right, point to somebody next to you. All right, and I want you to say this to, this, to them. You are being formed by the Spirit to be filled with the Spirit so that you flow in the Spirit. That really is what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. Look, you are not initiating this. You invited this. When you said yes to Jesus, Jesus sent His Spirit who is every day forming you. Every day wanting to fill you. Every day giving you the opportunity to flow in Him. Look at what the New Testament teaches about the work of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist 
said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John's baptism was powerful because he was dealing with your past. He was taking away, in a sense, the guilt and the shame. But that's nothing, John said, in comparison with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The fire cleanses of the sin, but the Spirit gives power and begins to transform the vilest of us into mighty men and women of God. You might be the most vile person in this room, and I'm looking to see who that is. But if you have the Spirit who, who Jesus baptizes you in, you become a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. Jesus said it's so important. He said, do not leave Jerusalem to His disciples, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He would not let His disciples do ministry till they were they were filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. They had seen the resurrected Christ. He said, don't start preaching till you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He wanted them to have power before they preached. Even though they had a message, they had to have the power. Matter of fact, he says it this way, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice what he does here. He connects the fullness of the Holy Spirit with the fulfillment of His mission. He connects them. He says they are linked. See, there are churches that want to fulfill the commission of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, but don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, you can't fulfill my mission if you haven't first been filled with my power. And the power is a receiving of the Holy Spirit's fullness into your life. And then there are churches that love the supernatural things of the Spirit, who love to be intoxicated in the Spirit, but don't really care about the mission. They just want to crawl up into the lap of Father God and soak in Him and do all of these kind of things. You will never know His fullness till you are aligned with His fulfillment. And you will not know fulfillment until you have received His fullness. The reason many of us are ineffective and very lacking in power in our lives is because we have not aligned our lives to both. You were made for fullness so that you'll experience fulfillment. You were made for fulfillment, therefore you must encounter and experience His fullness. If the disciples of Jesus who saw the resurrected Christ needed this fullness to fulfill their mission, how much more do you and I, a church today, need that as well? So what is the principle here? Well, the principle is this. You were made to flow in and with the Holy Spirit. There's a picture that <clears throat> sometimes I see of people, it's almost like they live their lives striving. They live their lives rowing against the current, against the wind. And so what really has happened is that they're slaves. 
And they have a taskmaster spirit that's beating a drum saying, faster, 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 row harder, row harder, row harder. That's not how you were made. You were redeemed from the slavery. You were redeemed from the spirit of fear. You were redeemed from the taskmaster spirit so that you have become sons and daughters. Therefore, you should not return to a spirit of fear for you have the spirit of adoption. And when you are adopted into the family, you're no longer a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're meant to be on deck with the wind at your back. And all you have to do is start learning how to sail. How do I put up the, how do I put up the sail to catch the wind of the Spirit's movement in my life? That's the calling on your life. It's not to be rowing like a slave, but instead sailing like a son or a daughter. See, every true believer is born of the Spirit of God. There, there is no Christianity, there is no biblical Christianity that is not supernatural. It is not the adoption of the morality or teaching of Jesus. It's not just having correct doctrine or theology. It is a, an encounter with the living God through His Holy Spirit that when you come to Christ, you are united to the Spirit of Christ. There is no other way to become a Christian. You are born of the Spirit of God. And then the Bible says you are to be keep on continually being filled with that same Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And He's been given to you, not just so that you are peaceful and joyful, but so that you are peaceful and joyful and full of power and love as you do the mission that He has commissioned you to do. When you're on assignment with the Spirit, you are in position to receive the fullness of the Spirit. But if any part of your life is basically, God, bless my mess, or God, here's my, here's my will, make it work out for me. Here's my dream, here's my values, make these all work out. Then God says, no, I won't resource your idolatry. And I won't give my fullness to something so foolish. You begin to realize that many of us are missing out on the tremendous resource that we have in the Holy Spirit because we're not willing to submit our will to His will. His work in us will always be an inner work that expresses itself in an outer work. He transforms you from within so that you begin to transform the world from without. Look, this has always been true. The Spirit is the driving force between, behind every single move of God that we've ever seen. Let me give you an example from history. In, in New England, the hearts of the people had kind of dulled towards religion in the 1700s. People had stopped going to church. They were not that interested in church. And there was this man by the name of Jonathan Edwards who was a preacher in, in Massachusetts and in Connecticut, a brilliant man, but, a, but an interesting kind of preacher. On one night, I believe it was in Connecticut, it was in a place called Enfield, he, he preaches this sermon. Okay, now listen to the title of the sermon. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry Guy. I don't think Joel Osteen will ever preach that. Right? I mean, nobody, nobody's putting that one on Facebook. 
All right, it's not that appealing. It's not, a mar- it's not branding well. Kind of thing. Second thing, okay, think about that with me. Second thing is, he read his manuscript in monotone. So he was, had a monotone voice reading a manuscript that started out with sinners in the hands of an angry God. You can see failure written all over this. Except the Spirit of God began to move. You know what happened to the people? They said they could see themselves dangling by a spider's web over the flames of hell. And New Englanders, who are not the most emotional of people, right? Suddenly are falling on their faces, crying out for the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. And it launched a thing called the Great Awakening that spread all over the world. Now, t- now think through this. You could read that same sermon today. It wouldn't happen like that. You could even get the monotone voice going. And it wouldn't happen like that. Why did it happen? Because a move of the Spirit came upon a moment and He changed an entire culture and society because some people were willing. Some people were in the right place at the right time. Please do not miss what I'm saying to you. I do not think it's an accident for the next eight weeks we are saying, come Holy Spirit. Because you and I have to look and say, what will really save our society? What will really change our culture? What will make a difference? It won't be just the preaching of men and women. It will be the move of the Holy Spirit of God. And he can take a title like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and he can take a monotone preacher and he can turn the world upside down. He wants to be on mission with you. And usually it starts with just some group of people saying, Lord, use us. Use us. Well, why is this so important? Well, this is the very nature of the Holy Spirit. If If you have received Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, the very nature of the Holy Spirit is always missionary work. Because He is a missionary. It is not a program of the Holy Spirit. It is the nature of the Holy Spirit. One of the the groups that has united Christians all over the world is a group called Lausanne. And they wrote on the Holy Spirit about His nature. He says, we love the Holy Spirit within the unity of the Trinity along with God the Father and God the Son. He is the missionary Spirit sent by the missionary Father and the missionary Son breathing life and power into God's missionary church. You see, the problem for many of us, particularly in America, is we've made missions a program. We've made it a part. Not recognizing that the fact that you have the missionary Holy Spirit in you, sent by the missionary Father and the missionary Son, is just, is just waiting for you to get that this is now your nature. See, if anything in your life is out of alignment with the mission of Jesus, the Spirit is doing everything He can to bring you back into alignment with that. You keep wondering, why don't you bless my job? Because it's not in alignment. Why don't you bless my marriage? Because it's not in alignment. Why do you not bless my money? Because it's not in alignment. He cannot give fullness to what he cannot fulfill. 
But once you get fulfillment and get alignment with the fulfillment, then He can, in a limitless way, pour out every provision you need for the vision. Are you hearing me in this? It's not just the nature of you. It's the nature of the church. Somehow we've said missions is over here and missionaries are over there. The missionary spirit's in you and he's chomping at the bit to get you on board. So he says this, we love and pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit because without the witness of the Spirit to Christ, our own witness is futile. Without the convicting work of the Spirit, our preaching is in vain. Without the gifts, guidance, and power of the Spirit, our mission is mere human effort. And without the fruit of the Spirit, our unattractive lives cannot reflect the beauty of the gospel. So what is this asking of you and me? Well, it's asking this. That you surrender, that you yield control of your life, the direction and even the decisions of your life, you yield it to the ever-present work of the Holy Spirit. You receive, when you do that, the same fullness that Jesus had. You don't have less of the Spirit of Jesus. You have the very Spirit of Jesus. You may not believe this, but you are a walking you are a walking union united with Jesus. So everywhere you go, Jesus goes. Can I, and this is not a burden. This is a surrendering to that reality. You don't make it happen. You go, oh, please walk with me. No, He's with you. He's with you. Now you have to acknowledge that He's with you. And that He's speaking to you and that He's leading you. And when that happens, things start to change. I, and it isn't about how greatly you do this. How smart you are, how, how talented or educated you are. I, I had this experience almost 10 years ago. And I came down with mal malaria that I, I should have died from, they said. And I was, in, I was at Good Sam on a Sunday... And they had no malaria medicines. And so I went for hours and hours in excruciating pain and all kinds of difficulties. They finally got me into a hospital room, finally got some medication that reduced the pain somewhat. And, and, and I'm just, Lisa's there praying, elders will come and pray with me. All kinds of stuff are happening, but I'm mostly just dealing with 106 degree fever and the hallucinations that came with it. And... Uh, I, I get through my day, all right, about midnight, and I get a phone call in the middle of the night, and it's the nurse that took care of me, and she's crying on the phone. And she says to me, I don't know what you have, but I want it. I said, malaria? <laughs> now, you know what she's saying. She said, there's something in your spirit. And it had to be spirit because I wasn't in control of my body. I wasn't in control of my thoughts or anything else. But she said, there's something in you and your wife that I've never had that I long to have. Will you pray for me? You understand, when you begin to realize that the fullness of Christ is right dwelling in you, he will make, his, he will make himself known through you even when it feels like you can't do anything quite right. You see, 
the whole thing is this. The Holy Spirit is the dynamic generator of spiritual life. Now, when you give yourself to other things, you are giving yourself spiritually to something that doesn't have the ability to generate genuine, true spiritual life. It will generate spirituality, but it's a false counterfeit spirituality. Only the Holy Spirit can generate the spiritual life that you long for and were made for. And if you are just acting on your own, you're still spiritual. It's just a bad spirituality. It's a dead-end spirituality. In the Bible, 31 verses talk about individuals being moved on by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. 17 times it talks about people being filled, and there's one verse that talks about the Spirit coming to rest on a person. This is what He wants to do with you. He wants to move in such a way that you begin to realize that He has come upon me in a special way. We're not talking about just simply present but passive. We're talking about present and active. And then this inner fullness leads to power for you to fulfill all the mission that God has given you in your life. Basically, He's always funneling you towards three things. He wants you to be able to live glorifying the Father in the name of the Son. He wants to enable you so that, that you begin knowing you were lost, but now you're found to encourage the lost, to even encourage others who are hurting, to accept the invitation to experience the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is one of the greatest things. I, I understand that people are sinners, and there is an issue of guilt, and there's an issue of shame, but really the invitation is not just to quit sinning. The invitation is to enter into the love that the Father has eternally had for the Son, the Son for the Father. And do you know who the Holy Spirit is? He's the personalized expression of that love. So when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's not just that you get a bunch of weird gifts. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are baptized into the fullness of the love of God. When you yield to the Holy Spirit, you are yielding to the fullness of His love for you and the love that He's had for you forever. The interesting thing is, many of us, when we mess up, when we fail, when we feel guilty, we go to other sources. They don't love you. He knows you all the way to the bottom and loves you all the way to the top. So when you turn to Him, He's not shocked by your failure. He's there to greet you and meet you in that place and lift you to a new place. So this forming that he does, this is spiritual formation. It is a process of transformation in the inmost dimension of the human being. So the Holy Spirit doesn't go after primarily behavior. He goes after the heart. Your heart is the control center of your being. Here's how you can understand your heart. Whatever you really believe is your heart. Whatever you really trust in is your heart. Whatever you are deeply committed to is your heart. This is the place where you have the greatest, in a sense, power. Because you're making the choices. This is what I believe. This is what I trust in. This is what I'm committed to. In a way, you could even say it's your heart of hearts. 
And so what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's going at the formation of your trust, the formation of your beliefs. He's going after the formation of what you're committed to. And he's trying to reform that or transform that into a place where your default setting is the very work of Christ done in the power of Christ. Let me, let me give you a kind of a simple illustration. I began to preach when I was 18 years old. They actually paid me for it. It was interesting. <laughs> and, and I was terrible. Uh, you know, I, and, and, and I, I wanted so desperately to be good at it. And so I would preach and I'd go, was it good? Was it okay? You know, did I do all right? Did I do all right? And then I would live off the comments. If they said it was good, I was like, yeah, I'm the greatest. <laughs> if they said it was bad, oh, I'm nothing. You know, just seesawing back and forth because I was trying to do the work of Christ in the power of Mike. Yes. Affirmed by the power of the people. So in a way, it was prostitute preaching. Because I was trying to get my worth, my value, my sense of self from the people's criticisms, affirmations, or what it was. So I was working really hard to make everybody like me. But see, the Holy Spirit says, I can't leave you there. I can't leave you there. I've got to transform your inmost being, your beliefs, your trust, your your commitments, so that the work of Christ is done in the power of Christ. You see, and then one word of the Spirit is worth hundreds and thousands of words of a person. He can break through with his words with things that our words can't. So he has to reform or transform that heart so that it's not about me getting my approval from what I do but actually doing what I do from a place of approval in him. So that instead of doing the work of Christ so that you like me, I'm doing the work of Christ because I love you. Now think about this for a minute. If if my goal is for all of you to like me, any of you can destroy my goal. And some of you do. But if my goal is to love you, none of you can block me. And in my opinion, you cannot be a pastor if you're trying to get people to like you. You can only be a shepherd if you love the sheep. Are you hearing me in this? So let me show you how deeply, how emotionally the Spirit wants to form you in this way. Paul says it. My little children, these, this is his, his church that he established in Galatia. And he's writing to them. He says, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. That's pretty dramatic. He is so wanting that reformation, that transformation, that he is travailing in childbirth for them. And what is he wanting? He says, until I can see that on the inside, Christ has been formed of you and it's expressed itself on the outside. So the progression of Christ being formed in the spiritual formation of the New Testament is outlined in a number of passages. Peter has one of the most important 
foundational things for you to get. He says you have become partakers of the divine nature. Again, do you, I, I, I say this to kind of provoke you, but if you are the worst person in this room, you know, the least accomplished, the one who's failed and messed up more than anybody else in this room, but this truth is not achieved, it's received. That in Christ, the worst sinner becomes a partaker of the divine nature. So here's what I want you to do, again, with your righteous finger. Reach over to the person next to you, somebody you can tolerate. <laughs> Look them in the eye and say to them, you have become a partaker of the divine nature. I, want you to, I wanted you to say that out loud. I wanted you to look at that person. Because if you believe this truth, you will never look at them the same again. You understand what we do? We look in a mirror and say, oh, I wish I could lose some weight. Oh, I wish I was smarter. I wish I were prettier. I wish I was richer. I wish I were all these things. And we base our status, our worth, our value, our glory on something that's so transient. And that cannot satisfy us. But you and I, whatever we look like, wherever we've been, if we have united our life with Christ, you have become a partaker of the divine nature. And He has come into the life of every ethnicity, every culture, every tongue, every tribe, and He has said, here's your value, here's your worth, here's your glory. I have united my nature with your nature. Can you, can you believe that we the church would let racism exist in our midst? If someone is a partaker of the divine nature, they have glory in their soul. If somebody is a partaker of the divine nature, it means Jesus has said, I have made you worthy of love. I have made you worthy of respect. I have made you noble. If the world doesn't see it, Jesus sees it. And this is, what he, this is what Peter says. You don't achieve it. He says, diligently you exercise it by faith. You begin every day saying, I'm a partaker of the divine nature. Guess what happens? When you realize you're a partaker of the divine nature, some things that are not excellent no longer appeal to you. And you begin to live in a certain excellence because you said, this is who I am. This is not who I am. And then that leads to incredible release of your brain power to seek after knowledge. You know, when you're not seeking after sin to satisfy you, your brain is free to think really wonderful, awesome thoughts. I mean, how much time people spend figuring out how to get drunk, how to get laid, how to whatever it might be. I mean, things that are not morally excellent, then suddenly the brain can think about how to glorify God. And then the knowledge that comes with that brings self-control, which leads to a soul that can persevere under trial, makes a person godly, exhibits real kindness, and then ends up in love. And the goal of all spiritual formation is that you would experience agape. Now, agape is the love of God, but, but a way of looking at it is it's unconditional love. 
It's love you can't produce. It's love that has to be received. But it is a love that comes without condition. I hear people all the time say, oh, you know, I've really messed up so much. There's no way God could still love me. I'm like, you're the only one who's ever lived who found a condition in which God can't love you. Guess what? Your real issue is pride. Because you think you're the exception to the truth. You understand? Unconditional means there's no condition that you can find that will make you escape His loving embrace. And what He's trying to do is to get your heart in a place where that mechanism that trusts things which was broken becomes healed and reformed so that you can actually trust God with all your heart. This is what the Spirit is doing. He wants you to be able to do all things out of love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And see, so many of us, what happens when we mess up, we go away from the Holy Spirit, not realizing that in your worst moments, if you'll turn to Him, what Romans 5 says, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Some of you, if you'll hear me today, some of you live in so much insecurity. You're so afraid people don't like you, they, you're not good enough, you're not important enough, you're not strong enough, something of, always of not enough. Do you understand that's the spirit of slavery? It's really based in fear. And he's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Here's the thing. When you look at the mirror and you say, I'm not, you know, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, whatever it is, you say, that's irrelevant. Because I have been loved with a love that is enough. And what will happen is this. Instead of making your life about you and other people affirming that you have some worth or you have some value, instead you'll be able to make your life about others. Because you'll be overabundantly, you know, filled and lavished in your life with the love of the Holy Spirit. You will be secure enough in the things that matter that you can make others secure as well. Hallelujah. That's who we're supposed to be. Amen. We were formed to be filled. And guess what? It's, you don't quit till you're full. You keep going after it. You keep going after it. See, Christ formed you in order to experience his love, to be filled with his love, to flow in his love. When you come to faith in Jesus, you didn't do this, but he united his life. He united his love. He united his joy, his hope. He bound himself to you. Basically, he married you. And the wedding ring of the marriage is the Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee of the presence and power of that union. He's the wedding ring on your hand. So who is this one who has made himself the binding between you and Christ? Well, one, he is not an it. He is not a force. He is not a thing. He is a person. And this is one of my favorite. He is the personal divine resident in every Christian's heart. The Bible teaches the Holy Spirit is a person. He loves, he grieves, he argues. So one time I was, I FaceTimed with my granddaughter. And uh, she's about three years old. And she has not liked letting go of the pacifier. So my, my daughter and son-in-law had a strategy. They only had one pacifier and it kept falling apart. And every time it would fall apart, she'd take what's left and start sucking on it, you know. 
The day we called and FaceTimed with her, she had lost the last nub. The very last nub. And she's in the hallway, and my daughter turns the camera towards her, and there's my little granddaughter going, she called her pacifier sassy. She goes, sassy gone, sad, sad, sad. <laughs> Three years old, she already gets the Bible. Three times, this is significant. Here's what you and I don't understand, though. See, the Holy Spirit goes with you wherever you go. But he has bound his emotions to your emotions. So when you're not doing his will, the Holy Spirit's in there going, sad, sad, sad. You understand that old rebellion that used to give you some joy or satisfaction or happiness? Now you have a passenger. He doesn't, when you're going into your rebellion or your illicit behavior or whatever it is, he doesn't go up to heaven and say, let me report it's going badly down there. <laughs> he goes right with you, and as you're doing it, because he is a person, he goes sad, sad, sad. And you keep wondering, why don't I get the same joy out of those old things? Because the divine person is resident in you. Are you hearing me? Yes. So he's fully God who is now indwelling you. And I want you to understand, our God in the Bible is one God, but he is, he is certainly manifesting in three distinct persons. In a way, a way to understand this is the persons who make up the biblically revealed one God are far more than three manifestations of God, but they are far too much of a unity to be more than one God. So he is one God who has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wasn't the Father in the Old Testament. Now he was Jesus in the Gospels, and now he's the Holy Spirit in this, this uh, era of our lives. He has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's such a unity that you can't call him you know, three gods. He's only one God. But he is, he is so distinct in these personhoods that you cannot miss that he is three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as you look at this and you begin to think about this, what you have received is God himself dwelling in you. He, Jesus himself said, I'm going to send you a same comforter, counselor, helper as me. You... It just blows me away when I realize every day I am walking and living with Jesus himself walking and living with me. Now, if he were walking beside me and talking with me and stuff like that, you could understand that because you could see it. But what we're saying is by faith, you have to start seeing that it's true of you now. Because Jesus said everything that is true of Jesus is true of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says... Basically, the Holy Spirit wants to be the divine person right in the middle of your life so that you experience all of Jesus' joy and power. You have an opportunity right now to live with an acute consciousness of the glorious person who lives, who's, who's decided to live within the walls of your life. So why then, if, if he's dwelling in this way, why must we be filled? Well, because... Number one, it's a command of Scripture. 
Be filled. Actually, it means keep on continually being filled. And the reason is this, is that God has made provision for you to experience the deeper life that your soul longs for. But it can only be experienced when the Spirit residing in you becomes the Spirit filling you. And this will not happen if you continue being the control center of your life. It is only when you yield the leadership. It's only when you yield the direction. It's only when you start to surrender to His leadership and will that you begin to experience the fullness of Jesus in your life. One of the, one of the things I did this summer that made me think a lot about this is I, I officiated a number of weddings. And, and when people marry, they're basically saying, I think I was formed in such a way that the only way my life can be full is if I unite my life to you. The problem is they're taking a huge chance, a huge risk. The reason being is that all they have is whatever past relationship they have, and what they have is the moment that they're in to say, I was formed for you and you will fill me. Because what you're really promising when you marry somebody is you're not promising the past, you're promising the future. And you have no idea what that person is going to be like in the future. Matter of fact, they change the minute they say, I do. <laughs> but you also have changed the minute you say, I do. And so suddenly the two people who married are no longer the two same people. And so you're like, what did I get into with this? But see, what, what we're saying here is the marriage of two people is actually a way to look at what Jesus is asking for you from His Holy Spirit. Is that you will actually say, and these are my words to Him, I said, my inmost being was formed in such a way that it can only be filled by your life and love. If I unite to you, I will be filled and true life, joy, peace, and love will flow. That's the union that we're saying yes to. That's the surrender that we're giving. You see, a real marriage is a surrender. You surrender your will to another's. They surrender theirs to yours. And what the Spirit is doing is He's uniting His fullness with all your broken places. And then, this is, this is the part I really want you to get. See, He's always going to be working to change your life. Uh, if your life didn't need changing, you wouldn't need a Savior. If you weren't bankrupt and broken, you wouldn't need someone who died on a cross and shed his blood because then you wouldn't be so evil that he had to die for you. But you are that evil that he had to die for you, but you are that love that he chose to die for you. And so what we begin to realize is what he's really asking of us when he fills us is he's saying, will you change the source of your life? Will you change it from what you've thought was the source to me being the source? Now, let me give you a personal illustration of this. I love my job. I love what I get to do. I love being your pastor. I love, I love our church. I love our staff. I just love this job. But here's the thing. This job, this church is not the source of my joy. The joy I have here points to the source, but it's not the source. If I make this church the source, 
then I've got to control you so you do what I want you to do so I'll be happy with you. Which means I'll have to manipulate, make you afraid, intimidate, dominate, and do all those things which will then take my joy away because I made you my source and you can't be my source. Same is true in my marriage. I love my wife. I love her more every day. She points me to the fact that there is joy, but she's not the source of my joy. If she were my source, then she would have to be what I want her to be exactly. She would have to say what I want her to say, do what I want her to do. Guess what? She doesn't do any of those things. Because God, God said, you need this woman to speak into those places nobody else can speak to you about. You need her to iron sharpen iron. You don't just need someone who flatters you and, and blinks her eyes at you. You need someone who's going to make a man out of you. And so, see, if she's, if she's the source of my joy, I would have divorced her long ago. Because she is, I say something to her, she says the opposite. You understand what I'm saying? But because the source of my joy is the Lord, she has become such a joy to me and even when we disagree or we fight or we whatever it is I know that she loves me afterwards even knowing my weaknesses and my brokenness as she does and so I'm saying to you this isn't impractical it's not mystical though mysterious things will happen it is you deciding the sources I've had for love and joy have not been adequate. See, what happens to us is our sources let us down. I mean, you, if you've decided that the only way to live life is with drugs, it will let you down. If the only way to live life is with alcohol or immorality, it will let you down. If you decided to live your life out of your food and shopping and Ben and Jerry's or whatever it is, it will let you down. It will distract, but it will not fill. It'll stimulate, but it'll never satisfy. I'm calling you today to say, Lord, you're the source of my life. But that means yielding to the Spirit of Christ, the divine resident inside of you, making yourself acutely aware of how he's forming you and filling you to flow. Will you stand with me? Here's, here's what my years have taught me. If I don't love something, if I'm not passionate about something, I don't stay with it. I go back to what I used to do. And so there's this, there's this old preacher that said, that what the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it does is it has an expulsive power to create a whole new affection. God is not calling you to morality. He's not calling you just simply to study theology. He's calling you to a new affection. He's calling you to say you were made for love. You were made for agape love. You were formed to be filled 
And when you are most yourself, you are flowing in the Holy Spirit. If there is in your life this sense, I, I haven't experienced that very much, or I don't know how to, all I'm asking you today is take one step that he's asking you to take. What I've learned over the years is I step out in faith, even if I don't know exactly what's going to work out from the faith, then that faith becomes a victory and that victory becomes trust. Once I trust something, I can do it again and again and again. But those initial steps are not steps of trust. They're steps of faith. So I'm asking you today to take a step of faith. Go with him wherever he is calling you to go. Do what he's asking you to do. If it's cut off certain things in your life that are not for his glory or not part of the mission, if it's to align things in a new way, do it and don't hesitate. Would you say this with me if this is making sense to you? Would you say, Lord, your spirit is the source of my life, my joy, my peace, my power, all my resources. I cancel out all other sources, I demote them, and I promote you, the source of my life. I'm responding right now to the invitation to be filled so I can flow. We seal what you're doing, Lord, in Jesus' name. God bless you all.